Hello, Hopeful. I'm Roger Corville, and this is For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible. Here, we read through the scriptures conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in His world. Welcome. A.W. Tozer put it this way, The church's mightiest influence is felt when she is different from the world in which she lives. And my friends, if you think about people who need instruction, they fall across a range, right? Some people know Christ and simply need encouragement and reinforcement. Others may be genuine Christians, but lack doctrinal clarity about a particular matter. Still, others are religious, but have no real understanding of the gospel. And further, some have heard the gospel, but refuse to believe in Christ. And today, you're going to hear all of those examples. But information alone is not the answer. It's part of it, but it's not the whole answer. As A.W. Tozer put it, the church's mightiest influence is felt when she is different from the world in which she lives. And I'm so glad you're here with me on this journey. Uh, Welcome to episode 2102 and today's little bit of our time together in the Bible, where we read every single word and consider our own stories in light of the big story. And just so we're clear, remember that doctrine, which means teaching, is an essential pillar of the Christian life. But true whole person learning includes more. It includes community. We can only do certain things together. And in this part of Acts, Luke reinforces the importance of word-driven disciple-making and gives illustrations of what it looks like to teach and receive gospel-centered instruction. Today, Acts 18 through 19.10. After this, he left Athens and went to Corinth, where he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul came to them, and since they were of the same occupation, tent makers by trade, he stayed with them and worked. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself to preaching the word and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. When they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his clothes and told them, Your blood is on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. So he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next door to the synagogue, And Crispus, the leader of that synagogue, believed in the Lord, along with his whole household. Many of the Corinthians, when they heard, believed and were baptized. The Lord said to Paul in a night vision, Don't be afraid, but keep on speaking and don't be silent, for I am with you, and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you, because I have many people in this city. He stayed there for a year and a half, teaching the word of God among them. And while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack against Paul and brought him to the tribunal. This man, they said, is persuading people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. As Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, 
If it were a matter of wrongdoing or if a serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you Jews. But if these questions are about words and names in your own law, see it to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of such things. So he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, a leader of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But none of these things mattered to Gallio. After staying for some time, Paul said farewell to the brothers and sisters and sailed away to Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. He shaved his head at Sencre because of a vow he had taken. And when they reached Ephesus, he left them there. But he himself entered the synagogue and debated with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer time, he declined. But he said farewell and added, I'll come back to you again, if God wills. And then he set sail from Ephesus. On landing at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church. And then he went down to Antioch. And after spending some time there, he set out, traveling through one place after another in the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native Alexandrian, an eloquent man who was competent in the use of the scriptures, he arrived in Ephesus. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and, being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately about Jesus, although he only knew John's baptism. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and after Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. When he wanted to cross over to Achaia, the brothers and sisters wrote to the disciples to welcome them. And after he arrived, he was a great help to those who, by grace, had believed. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating through the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they told him, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Into what then were you baptized, he asked them. Into John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him, that is, in Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in tongues and to prophesy. Now there were about twelve men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly over a period of three months, arguing and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some of them became hardened and wouldn't believe, slandering the way, capital W, slandering the way in front of the crowd, he withdrew from them, taking the disciples and conducting discussions every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. And that gets us up through 1910. Remember, my friends, the church's mightiest influence is when, when she's different from the world that she lives in. I love that passage where God says, don't be afraid. Why would God say, don't be afraid? Because there's something to be afraid of. <laughs> we should remember that. 
Hey, turning to our Old Testament segment. In our Old Testament narrative, yesterday we heard the emotional reunion of sorts as Joseph revealed himself to his brothers and credited God with even sending him to Egypt, right? Just so Joseph could be an instrument of saving his family and, by extension, the Israelite people. The scene closed with his dad, Jacob, now Israel, rejoicing that his son Joseph, long thought dead, is alive. Picking up in Genesis chapter 46. Israel set out with all that he had and came to Beersheba, and he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And that night God spoke to Israel in a vision. Jacob, Jacob, he said. And Jacob replied, Here I am. God said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you back. Joseph will close your eyes when you die. Jacob left Beersheba. The sons of Israel took their father Jacob in the wagons Pharaoh had sent to carry him, along with their dependents and their wives. And they also took their cattle and possessions that they had acquired in the land of Canaan. Then Jacob and all his offspring with him came to Egypt. His sons and grandsons, his daughters and granddaughters, indeed all his offspring, he brought with him to Egypt. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt, Jacob and his sons. Jacob's firstborn, Reuben. Reuben's sons, Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. Simeon's sons, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of the Canaanite woman. Levi's sons, Gershon, Koath, and Merari. Judah's sons, Ur, Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah. But Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. The sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul. Issachar's sons, Tola, Puva, Jashub, and Shimron. Zebulun's sons, Sered, Elon and Jaleel. These were Leah's sons born to Jacob in Padan Aram as well as his daughter Dinah. The total number of persons, 33. Gad's sons, Ziphion, Hagi, Shuni, Esbon, Eri, Orodi, and Areli. Asher's sons, Imna, Ishva, Ishvi, Beriah, and their sister, Sira. Beriah's sons were Heber and Malkiel. And these were the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to his daughter Leah, that she bore to Jacob. 16 persons, and the sons of Jacob's wife Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin. Manasseh and Ephraim were born to Joseph in the land of Egypt. They were born to him by Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, a priest at On. And Benjamin's sons, Bela, Becker, Ashbel, Gera, Naaman, Ahi, Rosh, Mupim, Hupim, and Ard. I just like how that rings. Mupim, Hupim, and Ard. <laughs> Just keeping it real. These were Rachel's sons who were born to Jacob, 14 persons. Dan's son, Hushim. Naphtali's sons, Jaziel, Guni, Jezer, and Shillam. These were the sons of Bilhah, whom Laban gave to his daughter Rachel. She bore to Jacob, seven persons. The total number of persons belonging to Jacob, his direct descendants, not including the wives of Jacob's sons, who came to Egypt, 66. And Joseph's sons who were born to him in Egypt, two persons, all those of Jacob's household who came to Egypt, 70 persons. Now Jacob had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to prepare for his arrival at Goshen. 
When they came to the land of Goshen, Joseph hitched the horses to his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. Joseph presented himself to him, threw his arms around him, and wept for a long time. Then Israel said to Joseph, I'm ready to die now because I have seen your face and you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's family, I will go up and inform Pharaoh, telling him, My brothers and my father's family who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. The men are shepherds. They also raise livestock. They have brought their flocks and herds and all that they have. And when Pharaoh addresses you and asks, What is your occupation? You are to say, Your servants, both we and our ancestors, have raised livestock from our youth until now. Then you will be allowed to settle in the land of Goshen, since all shepherds are detestable to Egyptians. So Joseph went and informed Pharaoh, My father and my brothers, with their flocks and herds and all that they own, have come from the land of Canaan and now live in the land of Goshen. And he took five of his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh asked his brothers, What is your occupation? They said to Pharaoh, Your servants, both we and our ancestors, are shepherds. And they said to Pharaoh, We have come to stay in the land for a while, because there is no grazing land for your servants' sheep, since the famine in the land of Canaan has been severe. So now please let your servants settle in the land of Goshen. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Now that your father and your brothers have come to you, the land of Egypt is open before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best part of the land. They can live in the land of Goshen, and if you know any capable men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Joseph then brought his father Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many years have you lived? Jacob said to Pharaoh, My pilgrimages lasted 130 years. My years have been few and hard, and they have not reached the years of my ancestors during their pilgrimages. So Jacob blessed Pharaoh and departed from Pharaoh's presence. Then Joseph settled his father and brothers in the land of Egypt and gave them property in the best of the land, the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's family with food for their dependents. But there was no food in the entire region, for the famine was very severe. The land of Egypt and the land of Canaan were exhausted by the famine. Joseph collected all the silver to be found in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain they were purchasing, and he brought the silver to Pharaoh's palace. And when the silver from the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan was gone, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, "'Give us food.' Why should we die here in front of you? The silver is gone. But Joseph said, Give me your livestock. Since the silver is gone, I will give you food in exchange for your livestock. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and he gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks of sheep, the herds of cattle, and the donkeys. That year he provided them with food in exchange for all their livestock. When that year was over, they came the next year and said, We cannot hide from our Lord that the silver is gone and that all our livestock belongs to our Lord. There is nothing left for our Lord except our bodies and our land. Why should we die here in front of you, both us and our land, by us and our land in exchange for food? Then we with our land will become Pharaoh's slaves. Give us seed so that we can live and not die, and so that the land won't become desolate. 
In this way, Joseph acquired all the land in Egypt for Pharaoh, because every Egyptian sold his field since the famine was so severe for them. The land became Pharaoh's, and Joseph made the people servants from one end of Egypt to the other. The only land he did not acquire belonged to the priests, for they had an allowance from Pharaoh. They ate from their allowance that Pharaoh gave them, therefore they did not sell their land. Joseph said to the people, Understand today that I have acquired you and your land for Pharaoh. Here is seed for you. Sow it in the land. At harvest you are to bring a fifth of it to the Pharaoh, and four-fifths will be yours as seed for the field and as food for yourselves, your households, and your dependents. You have saved our lives, they said. We have found favor with our Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's slaves. So Joseph made it a law, still in effect in the land of Egypt today, that a fifth of the produce belongs to Pharaoh. Only the priest's land does not belong to Pharaoh. And that gets us up through 47, verse 26. And did you notice how even in the Old Testament, in a sense, in a sense, the church's mightiest influences is felt when she's different from the world, right? Uh, Pharaoh goes, hey, if you know any great shepherds, have them take care of my flocks too. And next thing you know, the Israelites, all 70 of them, like Joseph, are now managing the wealth of the empire, so to speak. Anyway, another way to look at what makes the church different uh, is something we're going to hear in Psalm 108, like three themes. I will praise, I will listen, I will conquer. I will praise because of confidence in God. I will listen because he's the king. I will conquer because the battle is his. And my friends, we should all be thinking, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Our wisdom segment today, Psalm 108. A song, a psalm of David. My heart is confident, God. I will sing. I will sing praises with the whole of my being. Wake up, harp and lyre. I will wake up the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your faithful love is higher than the heavens, and your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. God, be exalted above the heavens, and let your glory be over the whole earth. Save me with your right hand, and answer me, so that those you love may be rescued. God has spoken in his sanctuary, saying, I will celebrate, I will divide up Shechem, I will apportion the valley of Succoth, Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, and Ephraim is my helmet, and Judah, Judah is my scepter, Moab is my washbasin, I will throw my sandal on Edom, I shout in triumph over Philistia. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom, God? God, haven't you rejected us? God, you do not march out with your armies. Give us aid against the foe, for human help is worthless. With God we will perform valiantly. He will trample our foes. And that is Psalm 108. I love that confidence both in God's strength and in his ultimate justice. I know it's kind of weird. You know, this is probably written 2900 BC-ish, right? 
900-950, Time of David. I will praise because of confidence in God. I will listen because he's the king. And I will conquer because the battle is his. So when we think about today's theme, my friends, the church's mightiest influence is felt when she is different from the world in which she lives. I guess the question, or maybe the prayer, in fact, I'll just pray it. Let's close with this. Lord, help us to not only see how you are moving in the world, Lord, but that that you would help us be willing, living sacrifices, going and knowing that with confidence you are a God of love and justice and that your plans will not fail. I love you, my friends. Amen. Amen.